Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Never go full Jonah Goldberg, except for if you're Ben Shapiro. Apparently, you're going to do that. We'll talk about that. The DHS decides that, well, you can't handle the truth. And speaking of truth, the Church of Me needs to hear a message. In fact, I think all of us Christians at this time of year need to hear this message, so I'm going to play that for you. All that and more coming up on today's Critical Thinking. And welcome in. I'm Andrew Coppins. Yes, I'm still flying solo. Pat is taking care of some family business and getting ready for the holidays, and and thankfully I don't have a lot of that going on. Uh, we're just going to be able to pack up and leave and, and do a couple of things. So I can do the show. All right. So what am I talking about with Ben Shapiro going full Jonah Goldberg? Well, it actually has more to do with Vladimir Zelensky coming to America and the grovel session that has taken place in the 24 hours since. And Ben Shapiro went full on grovel mode this morning. So we're going to talk about that. The DHS well, apparently you can't handle the truth of migrant crossing numbers anymore, so what are they just going to do? Black it out. Yeah, that's right. Um, you don't deserve the information. You don't deserve to understand what is actually going on because, well, what's a good way to um, to avoid a crisis? Pretend like it doesn't exist, and that's what the DHS is attempting to do under the Biden administration. If ever there was an opportunity to suggest that um, Alejandro Mayorkas deserves to be impeached from his job, it's this. And the Church of Me, you know, the people who believe that Jesus Christ is only there to serve them and their whims and their needs and bend Christianity to whatever they happen to believe, except for um, that's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. Well, you're about to hear a message later on in this program, a message that I think all of us do need to hear and be reminded of from time to time, by the way, because we are all fallen. We are all sinners. We are all fallen in the eyes of Christ. So with that being said, Ben freaking Shapiro, he's been so wrong over the last 18, 20-ish months, maybe even a year and a half. 
I mean, the guy pimped the vaccine so hard in December of 2020. Now, he did do a good thing in standing up to the vaccine mandates, but at the same point in time as he was standing up to the vaccine mandates, he was spewing all of the lies <clears throat> that Debbie Burks, that Anthony Fauci were telling us from the pulpit. I mean, the, the podium. I mean, wherever the media was. This was a man telling us that the vaccines were effective, that they were safe, they were going to prevent transmission. They're going to do all of these things, and you had to do it for the sake of grandma and grandpa, for the sake of this, for the sake of that. Every single one of the panic-pushing, panic-porn-pushing points was what ben, ben Shapiro believed on an individual level. He just so happened to believe that mandating this was wrong. Golf clap for you, Ben. Golf clap. This morning... He tweets out a, a situation with uh, Joe Rogan talking about this from April 27th of 2021. April 27th of 2021, in which he, he, Joe Rogan, decides to tell the American public on Twitter that unless you are really, really sick and young, right? Unless you are sick and you're also young. So if you're young and sick, right? Unless that is the case, do not get the vaccine if you're young. If you're young and healthy, don't do it. It has negative consequences for you. That was 18 months ago, Ben. And today, this morning, Ben Shapiro wants you to know, well, Joe Rogan was right. And, and all the things that I said for the last 18 months until about five minutes ago are totally wrong. But, but that's not what I'm here for. Because the groveling, the bowing down, the I think we should grant a statue to Vladimir Zelensky crowd apparently also includes Ben Shapiro. And it is a deep dive Thursday on the program. So I wanted to take Ben Shapiro's um, comments when it came to Vladimir Zelensky and dive into them. Are they the right position? Are they the wrong position? What's the knee jerk reaction here? Because Ben Shapiro wanted to let us know this up front from his Twitter. And if you're not watching on Rumble, do so. Rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Zelensky is not wrong to seek more American aid. It's in the interest of his country. So I'm going to stop right there. Is it in the interest of his country? Yes. Yes, it is in the interest of Vladimir Zelensky's country. Right, Because who wouldn't want more money for a struggling country, for a corrupt, oligarchical country? You know, why would you not want more money? Free money, good money, right? But Ben Shapiro continues, saying that the United States is not wrong to provide aid. Defeating Russia's invasion is in the interest of our country. But this does not mean that the Ukrainian and U.S. goals here are identical. Hmm. I think that's worth taking a look at. Does that not mean, but that does not mean the Ukrainian and U.S. goals here are identical. He's right in this regard. They're not identical. Because one country is fighting for its freaking existence. And we're over here making sure that Russia has less power. That, that's basically the, the case to be made here. But Ben Shapiro continues on his Twitter thread. 
Ukraine is singularly interested in pushing Russia completely out of Ukraine, including Crimea. We are interested in upholding NATO deterrence, preventing Russian escalation, standing back China, and yes, preventing Russia's absolute collapse. Again, Ukraine is singularly interested in pushing Russia completely out of Ukraine. This is this is the the crux of the matter for me, is that people like Ben Shapiro, Jonah Goldberg, and this ilk that want to go down the road of we should be providing aid and going to war and doing all of these things, because that's Ben 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 Shapiro's position is that we should be involved in Ukraine, we should be providing aid, we should be providing weapons, we should do this, that, and this. The act of this being singularly interested about Russia and pushing it completely out of Ukraine as if that's the only Ukrainian position here. No, it's not. That is absolutely inaccurate, folks, because this is also about Ukraine being seen as a legitimate partner to the West. This is about Ukraine being able to join NATO and thus get the benefits that are largely still to this day provided by the United States of America. Just the other day, we talked about the fact that 62% of all aid to Ukraine, 62%, folks, again, I'm going to say it, 62% of all aid going to Ukraine is coming from the United States of America in ocean, in nearly another ocean away. The people of Europe are providing less than 25%. And they have, I would suggest, given the landmass that they're on, a vested interest in Ukraine vis-a-vis Russia. Now, is it true that we are interested in upholding NATO deterrence? Potentially. I think that's the weakest of the arguments for what we are interested in doing. Do we want to prevent Russian escalation? Yes. Do we want to stand back China? Yes. Do we want to prevent Russia's absolute collapse? Yes. Because it is already an oligarchical society, and the worst of the worst of the actors would be the people that would step into that absolute collapse and that power vacuum. We do have an interest in making sure that Russia does not totally collapse. We have an interest in Vladimir Putin being defeated, though. And this is what Ben Shapiro is missing here. Sure, we can talk all we want about NATO. We can talk about Russian escalation. We could talk about China and all of that. There's a very large piece of this puzzle that Ben Shapiro is missing. We have an interest in making sure that Russia's oil, natural gas, and its energy policies and its energy production do not make it a stronger nation. At least we should. What have we known over the past year? The ruble, the Russian ruble, has become its strongest that it's ever been under Vladimir Putin. We know that Russia has increased its wealth despite all of the alleged tampering and all of the sanctions and all of the things that have been shut off between Europe, the United States, and Russia. We know. We know these things to be true. And at the same point in time, 
we're supposed to believe it's just about NATO and preventing escalation and, whoa, China, whoa. And then, well, we don't want to totally collapse Russia. This is the problem that I have. Ben Shapiro doesn't understand what our goals are, doesn't understand what our interests actually are. And to further that point, I'm going to bring you his next tweet in this thread where he states that we have achieved most of our goals. Ukraine has not achieved its goals yet. This means we are eager to bring Russia to the table, where Ukraine is less eager. Ukraine has no incentive to end the war short of absolute Russian surrender. Is that true? To an extent, yes, it is. To an extent, it is true that Ukraine has no incentive to end the war short of absolute Russian surrender. And why would it? Because we have given them every single dollar that they have asked for. We have increased their military capabilities. We have increased their ability to fight this war with Russia. Most people, this, well, I would say this. Most people would have believed by February, March, April of 2022 that this would have been done and dusted. That Russia would have run over this country, Ukraine, and we'd be talking about the issues with real NATO allies like Poland and what, what is on the horizon for them. Except for that is not what happened because it turns out that Russia and its military capabilities are few and far between. It turns out that the Russian military, the people actually doing the fighting, have no incentive in this. They don't believe this to be part and parcel of what is good for Russia. They do believe that it's good for Putin, but they don't believe that everything that's good for Putin is good for Russia. Why? Because we see them surrendering in mass numbers. We have seen in the Donetsk region that Ukraine has pushed all the way back. Russia has no foothold other than in Crimea, Crimea and the Donetsk region, and its foothold in the Donetsk region is weakening. Ukraine is pushing it back and back and back. At thanks in large part to all the weaponry, the money, the things that we've been able to produce for them at a 62% clip. And we have indicated we're just going to write blank check after blank check after blank check. So what is the incentive to stop the war? There is none from the Ukrainian perspective because they want they have two interests. Number one is pushing Russia all the way back into Russia. That includes getting Crimea back for them. So that's incentive number one. And incentive number two is their increased stature in the world. And they have achieved that. We are going to let them into NATO. We have provided them with great military capabilities. We have provided them with some sort of legitimacy. Now, all of that has come at a rather large cost, if you ask me. And Ben Shapiro is about to address that. Quote from his Twitter, uh, his Twitter thread. The United States has every interest in ending the war in a negotiated line that will undoubtedly fall short of Ukrainian expectations. This means that the United States must, one, give Ukraine aid to push the Russians hard and prevent the internal collapse of the country. Okay. That's interesting. So the United States has every interest in ending the war in a negotiated line. Do we? 
Do we have an interest in that? Yes, because I do believe this. Ending this war and making it less endless is to our advantage. Maybe perhaps we can get back to not spending almost $100 billion in Ukraine on warmongering and fighting. Maybe, just maybe we could do that. But then again, now that that $85 billion has been appropriated, well, we shouldn't lessen the $85 billion in our budget anymore. No, 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 no. It's just going to go elsewhere, right? Ukraine has no incentive to end the war short of absolute Russian surrender, and we have to give Ukraine aid to push the Russians hard and prevent the internal collapse of the country. That's very interesting considering what we know about the internal workings of Ukraine right now. He's about to address it. And two, make clear to Putin behind closed doors that a negotiated solution is available. This will also mean that at some point in the near future, Biden will have to be the bad guy to Zelensky and tell him no. Here's what Ben Shapiro doesn't understand. Joe Biden's not in freaking charge. And anything that Joe Biden does, says, or wants to do when it comes to foreign policy, you better do the opposite of. Because it works out terribly. It always has and it always will. The, the, this, that was my number one argument against Joe Biden becoming the president of the United States of America is because of our precarious foreign policy situation right now vis-a-vis -vis Russia, China, Iran. He makes all the bad decisions all the time and never understands that. But we're supposed to believe that we have to make it clear to Putin behind closed doors that a negotiated solution is possible. But you just told us that there is no negotiated solution possible from the Ukrainian perspective because their goal, their number one goal, is Russia out. So if you're going to negotiate Russia out, that would mean that you would have to also negotiate and adhere to the fact that Crimea does belong to Russia. You are asking the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian government, Vladimir Zelensky, you are asking those individuals and those people to give something up that they fervently believe in. Hey, Ben, you know what? There's a negotiated solution to the issues that you're having. Give up your Judaism. And if you were to just do that, they'll allow you to live. What? No. No, you wouldn't do that. And I'm not suggesting that this is religious ferventry. What I'm suggesting is that they believe this to be part of their country. Would we just sit here and give up, I don't know, Washington to the Canadians if, if it meant? No. That's just idiotic. That's just a stupid ask. But it continues, my friends. The question is whether Biden is willing to do that, again, willing to be the bad guy, or we just keep doing one ad infinitum with no actual view as to America's end goal, independent of Ukraine's. I have serious doubts Biden is willing to take the hit of being the bad guy here. And herein lies the problem. 
Now, on a personal level, I agree. I don't believe that Biden has the chutzpah, the cojones to be the bad guy here. But he's not in charge, okay? He has never been in charge of anything that is going on in this White House. He is the puppet. There are a bunch of little puppeteers that include Dr. Jill Biden, that include his chief of staff, that include the national um, you know, defense people. It includes his cabinet, okay? These are the people, the the outside influence of, you know, advisors and, and punditry people. These are the people that are actually in charge of what's going on in the White House. Joe Biden has no say-so. And it's been a long-term thing for me because I fervently believe he is not mentally competent. They're using him as that figurehead, because it is he is a convenient foxhole, if you will, right? They can lob their grenades and do all the things that they're doing, but Joe Biden is the sympathetic figure behind all of this. He's the guy that they can hide all the sinister stuff behind. They're not going to give that up. They're not going to want to be the bad people, because if they do that, what happens to the sympathetic nature of Joe Biden when it comes to how the media treats and when it comes to how the public perception of him exists, right? What are they going to do about that if he becomes the bad guy? Because the media has spent its entire 2022 propping up Vladimir Zelensky as the man of the year, as some sort of saint hero, despite the fact that we know what? That he is persecuting Christians that he has stifled the media, that he is a liar, that he has has almost gotten us into a real World War III scenario, not once, not twice, but at least three times, including oops-a-daisies launching missiles accidentally into Poland and then attempting to blame Russia for that. Yet I am supposed to sit here and believe that... <clears throat> We're going to be good and, 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 and uh, yeah, we, we need to do right by Vladimir Zelensky. Do we really? All right. So we finally get this. None of this analysis requires that we ignore the various serious problems within Ukraine, ranging from corruption to questions of religious discrimination to use of Nazi ideology origin battalions like Azov. Foreign policy is constantly about choices between ugly alternatives. <clears throat> this is the problem, and this is why I said Jonah Goldberging of Ben Shapiro. This is the false dichotomy that <clears throat> there's only two ways here. Either we give the money and we support and, and we make sure that our goals are somewhat in line, that we're in somewhat congruity <clears throat> with our friends in Ukraine, right? Either we do that or or Russia takes over. Thirdly here, considering both Russia and Ukraine are corrupt, oligarchical countries with really bad neo-Nazi tendencies, with racism, with religious persecution in and amongst their societies, hear me out on this one. Hear me out on this. We take a third way and say, y'all fight your own battles because you both suck. 
And then we figure out what's going on after they fight out those battles. And then, and then hear me out on this one. We strengthen our alliance within the actual NATO territories. And should Russia have run over Ukraine, then we look at our strategic alliance within Poland and other areas and maybe do something about this. But to suggest that that we let that we pick a side, that we have to pick one of two bad choices is insane. I am sorry that Ukraine might get run over by Russia. But my question to Ben Shapiro and the warmonger ilk is simply this. If they were to take over Ukraine, prove to me the strategic need to worry about that. I would argue Europe has a strategic need. We don't. We have none. We have absolutely no strategic need here. None. When I'm looking at the foreign policy of the United States of America, when I look at what we might need economically, what we might need spiritually, what we might need in terms of aligning ourselves with good actors, there is nothing of interest of ours that is actually served here. I get that sometimes you might be on the side of people you don't wholly like. I mean, look at World War II, right? We were on the same side as Russia. Russia did not serve our interest other than helping us to fight a two-front war in which, realistically, the stupidity of fighting that two-front war of the Nazi party is why the Nazi party lost. But... That notwithstanding, who, where's our strategic need here? I get Europe's strategic need because they need that pipeline. They need the natural gas. They need the energy. They need that production. Alternatively, what if we did this as our strategic national foreign policy? Knowing that Russia was likely to go after Ukraine. We, as the United States of America, ramp up our own energy production and wait for this. Do what we did to our strategic reserves on a much more broad scale. Because if you remember this story, strategic reserves were sold, not, not released into America to relieve our economic pressure. No, 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 no. We sold the ever-loving crap out of our oil in the strategic reserve to places like China, Japan, Korea. That's right. We sold it. So what if we just concentrated on ramping up our own energy production and our own reliance on our own energy and left Russia and Ukraine to fight its own bullcrap? And then we turn to our partners in Europe and say, oh, you were stupid and you thought that this pipeline would work for you. How about we do this? How about... How about we do this? We're going to sell you all the excess oil that we have. And we, we have ramped up our production by 30 40 50%. And... We're already good here in America when it comes to our oil and natural gas production, and we'll sell you ours. 
at a premium. We just increased our economic power by staying out of a war. This is insane. And, and, and to suggest that we have some sort of unified goal here in America, I would I would ask this of Ben Shapiro. Name me the unified What is the goal? What is the thing that our government sold us upon that got us to this aid and just short of actually putting troops on the ground in Ukraine? What was what is the actual goal here? What is it? Because as far as I can see it's just writing a blank check to feel good and it's more about making us feel like we have done something good when it comes to buttressing Putin and his power. Except for it's all backfired. Every single idea that we thought that was going to be good in this battle between Ukraine and Russia has turned out to be batshit crazy bad. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. If you believe that the goal is to make Putin bend, if you believe that it is to make him isolated within the world, that's fine. If you believe that the economic sanctions needed to be in place so that we could put hardship on on Russia and that it would prevent even more action on Russia's part. You were dead wrong. We're a year in, if not more, into this battle. <coughs> and how's that worked out for us? Secondly, let's ask a very important question. Again, as I pointed out earlier, have we achieved the economic sanctions goal? Have we achieved the goal of isolation and making them poorer and making Putin less powerful? All hell no. The ruble is powerful. Their economy is humming. We haven't done diddly poo to hurt Putin's position within his own country. Now, ironically, Putin has done it to himself vis-a-vis -vis his health and his actions within his own country. He has squandered that economic power. That's a totally different story. But the reality on an international level is that we've allowed Putin to become more powerful, is that we've given, given their, their economic power even greater strength. And what have I said all along? The real the real battle here in Ukraine, the reason why, the real reason why this is important strategically for the United States of America is because the people in power in the United States of America don't believe in our own sovereignty. They believe in international economic sovereignty. They believe in international economics, whereas the Russians believe that their power comes from being a singularly nationalistic economic power. This is the fight that's really been going on. It is international socialism versus national socialism. That's the fight that's really happening. And it's why we continue to write a blank check to Ukraine. Because Ukraine is that proxy for international economics, international socialism. Okay, It is, it is all about that side being able to use Ukraine as its prop. Whereas Russia is proving to China, proving to Iran, and proving to others like India even, who happen to have a much more nationalistic, socialist, economic outlook. 
and they are helping to prop up Russia on the other side. It has been this from the very get-go. Ben Shapiro doesn't even understand that. Ben Shapiro doesn't even understand the basics. He has gone full Jonah Goldberg when it comes to this and when it comes to COVID. All right. Now, with that having been said, um, I have another story that we need to talk about here. And it's, it comes from Not the Bee. The headline, the Department of Homeland Security just ordered a blackout on public reporting of the number of migrants crossing the border. That's right. The truth of the migrants that have crossed the border, the numbers, the staggering amount of people that could be and are coming across this border, okay, is so bad, is so damaging, not only to the Department of Homeland Security, but to the Biden administration and to our ability to to run a functioning society here in the United States of America, that they, they believe that you can't handle the truth anymore. And it, and it does so much damage to them, they don't want you to know what the real number is. Over the last year, what we do know, according to Customs and Border Patrol, at least 2.76 million illegal aliens have already come into this country over the last 12 months. Now, we're looking at the expiration of Title 42. I fervently believe that we have to have that Title 42 expired because you can't be on the one hand telling us that the pandemic is over, that that it that we can't believe that the pandemic is, is here anymore, and then use the pandemic, right? Use the pandemic as the cudgel to pushing back migrants because it's convenient to push back migrants on your position and your platform. On one hand, your platform is the pandemic is over. And on the other hand, your platform is push the migrants back and let's use Title 42 to do it. Both of those are incongruent to each other. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work that way. And that goes for the Biden administration as well. The Biden administration can't suggest to us on one hand publicly that the pandemic is over and then use Title 42 or misuse Title 42, or tell us that we can't use Title 42. The only position is that the only position on Title 42 that is congruent is this: the pandemic is over. We will test those individuals who come into America for all of the diseases we already test for. By the way, that you don't know that they do that, right? That they're going to test them, okay? And if they happen to have it, they go into isolation and we figure out how to bring them back into the country of origin. The only thing that makes sense here and the only thing that is congruent is that the pandemic is over. Therefore, Title 42 should be expired. But, but there's a third part to this. If you believe that we should be sending migrants back, right? If you believe that, okay? Those that are, you don't get to catch and release anymore. That's ultimately what we're trying to get rid of when it comes to the people on the right, okay? That's ultimately what is the goal, is we want to expel the illegal aliens the second they get here. It's not catch and release. It's catch and push back into the country of origin, whether that be Mexico, wherever, right? Or remain in Mexico policy until we can adjudicate it. You... The only policy that exists that should 
that should happen is either a modification of Title 42 or, wait for this, Congress to do its damn job and the Senate to do its damn job. You can't, on one hand, suggest to me that Title 42 needs to be used and, oh, by the way, the pandemic is over. If the pandemic is over, then Title 42 is expired. They are wholly incongruent to each other because Title 42 is explicit about communicable disease and the expulsion of people and the pushback of people from our border who have that disease. But that only exists if it's an emergency. Now, the Biden position actually is congruent on this, or the Biden, excuse me, the Biden position, the Biden administration's position is also incongruent, excuse me, not congruent, incongruent, because on the one hand, they say that we have to have emergency powers still, but on the other hand, they want Title 42 to expire. What? What? See, both sides of this issue are totally incongruent. The fix is Congress and the Senate to do its damn job while this expires. And we admit as a government that the pandemic is over, that we have to treat it just like any other virus or disease that spreads amongst us. And that if we want a different policy, we have to think about our immigration in a different way. We have to actually work on legislation. We actually have to do your job as a senator. You actually have to do your job as a congressperson. Pass legislation. Do something for once instead of abusing and misusing the U.S. title codes. How many times do we have to see the Biden administration being pushed back from its abuse and misuse of title codes? How many times before you understand that the right thing to do is do your fucking job? But what do we also know? According to the El, Pas uh, El Paso sector, right? They expect 18,000 migrants to cross every single day should the Supreme Court allow Title 42 to expire. That's a catastrophe. That is damaging to our country on a massive scale. There's no doubt about it. But the answer is, is to, for Congress, for the Department of Homeland Security, for us to do our jobs, to figure out a policy that would stop that type of mass migration because we are a magnet for migration, to stop it, to, to slow the flow of that illegal immigration and to better our legal immigration system, to make these people who desperately want to come here. If you want to come to America and you are actually desperate, legally desperate to do so, and you are not a criminal, uh, a terrorist, any of those types of things, we should make it so easy for you to get here. We really should. Let's open our arms. But we have failed ourselves for 20, 30 years to do this. Because we can't wrap our minds around what we actually believe our immigration policy should be. Either we have a country or we don't. And DHS is unwilling to fulfill its obligation in our congresspeople and our senators and the president of the United States are unwilling to do their constitutional duty when it comes to our borders and our sovereignty. And the people of Texas, the people 
of Arizona, the people of California, the people all over the Southwest, and by the way, here in Chicago and in New York and elsewhere, are feeling the ramifications of this. And maybe that's what it's going to take for them to understand we either shit or get off the pot Either we open our borders up and there's no such thing as a border anymore, or we enforce a border with compassionate and easier-to-understand pathways to legal immigration. We create a magnet for illegal immigration vis-a-vis our absolutely insane, archaic, and expensive-as-shit policies. That's the reality of this. Now, the Supreme Court has put on hold the expiration of Title 42. That's fine. I agree with that. Until the Supreme Court makes its, makes its ruling, we shouldn't do anything one way or the other when it comes to this. But in anticipation of these staggering numbers, a source not authorized to speak to the press has told Breitbart Media that the Department of Homeland Security has decided to brush the issue under the rug by issuing a gag order to Custom and Border Protection managers, forbidding them from releasing the number of migrant apprehensions to the public without DHS approval. The directive was issued on Monday and took effective immediately. The effects of the border of the order can be seen already in the reports that are being issued by Border Patrol. So, see this weekend's update, and it's post by U.S. Border Patrol Chief uh, Peter Yaquez. Jaquez. Before the order, he reported 2,460 apprehensions for illegal crossings, and that took place on December 12th. Okay, after the order. Uh, notice this. In the past 48 hours, across the El Paso sector, our diligent agents foiled 12 smuggling schemes, apprehended 57 migrants uh, from those schemes, and 15 human smugglers were apprehended by uh, at CBP. So we went from reporting on the number of migrants apprehended to the, the, the ones that were committing direct illegal action, right? Now, I would suggest that uh, coming across the border is an illegal action. So we no longer are going to know the truth, the reality on the ground. We are no longer going to be able to access that information and understand it for ourselves. Only DHS could possibly know that information. And why, pray tell, would they do that? It's twofold. It's all politics, number one, because we're coming into this election cycle here in 2023. That's going to start ramping up, and that's really going to look bad for the Biden administration, especially if Title 42 does expire. Shh, we can't know the truth of the expiration of Title 42 and our shitty immigration policies in general. We don't want to do that. We have allowed more border crossings than our nation has seen in its entire history in the last year. Okay? At any point in time, no point in a year have we ever allowed this many people illegally through our border, apprehended more people attempting to cross the border than we did over the last year. They, I want you to think about this, and, and this is what the Not the Bee points out. So, while allowing more border crossings than our nation has seen in its history, with total control of the border crossing narrative, the Biden administration's border numbers should look real cozy, real cozy, come the 2024 elections, and that's the number one point. This is all about hiding, and this is classic Biden, right? All about hiding the reality. 
and allowing a narrative to be shoved down the throat of an accepting media. I want to be abundantly clear on this. That's point one, right? This is all about creating a narrative, a political narrative ahead of an election. And number two, this is all about controlling the media. Here's the reality, folks. DHS, and hear me out on this. You already have the media in your pocket. We already know that because they've just poo-pooed the last Twitter file stories that show you and your FBI and the CIA and everybody else in your ilk attempting to literally just create out of whole cloth an idea and a scheme that was Russian disinformation when it came to the Hunter Biden laptop story, except for you knew it to be true. We all knew it to be true. And you lied. You have spun, spun, spun. And the media ate, ate, ate it up. You could tell the truth and the media would still believe your lie. That is the reality of that situation. You can't handle the truth. No, the American people can handle the truth. You just wouldn't like the consequences of that truth being exposed. And by the way, this has nothing for me to do with Title 42. This has everything to do with a consistency of message and consistency of policy. This has everything to do with Congress and the Senate and the president, everybody involved in government, in our federal bureaucracy, refusing to do the work needed to do to fix the problem. If Title 42 is the thing that you are using to, to you know, put the, the finger in the dike, if you will, of a massive immigration problem, you're doing it wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Deciding that that on one hand, we have to get rid of Title 42, but oh, by the way, I still want the emergency powers and we're still in a pandemic, is wrong. And the pandemic is over, but hey, whoa, 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 border crisis, Title 42, which is all about uh, making sure we can send people back because communicable diseases and emergency powers. Both sides of this are wrong. Both sides, both the left and the right, are dead-ass wrong when it comes to this issue. It is impossible, on the one hand, to say pandemic over and then but Title 42. I don't know how many times I could shove that down your throat. And if you believe that, you need to look inside yourself and ask yourself a deep, deep, deep question. Do I just believe in everything that the right tells me to believe in? Think for yourself. Think critically about that statement. Wait a minute. I believe the pandemic to be over. Title 42 is about the use of emergency power to prevent the spread of communicable disease in the country. And, and only because it's emergency time. I want you to think about this. The bird flu, swine flu, H1N1, you name it, Aryan flu, whatever you want to call it, okay? Whatever, whatever thing that we've experienced, uh, tuberculosis outbreaks and this and that, right? The last time we used... This, Title 42, was in 1929, and we used it for about six months to make sure that what was going on in China, Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and their ability to bring real communicable disease over here, we didn't even use it when freaking Ebola was breaking out in West Africa in the mid-2000s. 
The last time we used Title 42, the last time it was evoked was in 1929. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? Using this as a, a finger in the dike makes no sense. Fix the actual problem. Fix the root issue. And the root issue is our shitty immigration policy that makes it a magnet to come over here illegally, number one. Number two, makes it really, 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 really difficult, really difficult for people to come here legally. Make those who want to come here legally, make that process easier. Make it harder for criminals to come over here. Make it really severe for people who want to do cross the border illegally. I, I don't. How hard is this? Apparently really hard. Because we have people that don't believe in a sovereign border. We have people that believe in a sovereign border forever, wall up forever. And we have people who believe that our immigration system isn't broken on a legal matter. Yet we have people like me who do believe that it legally it is broken. Speaking of broken, though, before we go, there is nobody more broke and more broken, in my view, when it comes to the Christian world than those who have subscribed to the church of me. The, the message of everything that you do is good because God is good, and that you can do whatever you want, and we'll twist whatever Bible verse, and the Bible will just make you feel better. I want you people to hear this message loud and clear, and those who think they're not a part of the Church of Me, by the way, you need this message in your life too. Created a fake Jesus that doesn't heal the sick, that doesn't raise the dead, that doesn't cast out demons, that comes and coddles you on Sunday morning. I call him Jehovah Genie. I'm just going to rub the Bible and get my three wishes. I'm a Jehovah Geico. He's like a car insurance policy. You don't even talk to him until you wreck your life. And then you pull Jesus out of your glove box and you call the number on the paper and say, Jesus, come fix me. Some of you serve Jehovah Butler. You ding a little bell. Every time you make a mess, you want God to clean up your mess. I'm not here to have it my way. I'm here to have it your way. I'm not here to do my thing. I'm here to do his thing. He is not Jehovah Butler. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's El Shaddai. He is Emmanuel, the God that is among us. Paul said, there's going to be an issue in the end time church. They will make a Jesus and they'll happily put up with the Jesus and the preachers and whatever they say. So Paul says there's going to be a fake Jesus, a fake gospel, a fake spirit that would be in the church. Amen to that message. Amen to that message. He is not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. We are here to serve Jesus, God, the Holy Trinity, as we believe as Catholics. We are here to serve his will be done, not our will. God doesn't exist to serve us. The church of me is that false church. The church of me that... Well, I believe that I should be able to do this. Hey, here's the reality. We're all sinners. Hear me out on this. We all sin. We all do things that are against God and his teachings, right? We all do it. We all have sinned, one form or another, whether you saved yourself for marriage and or you didn't. And if you didn't, that was a sin against God. But have you asked for forgiveness? Have you asked for repentance? Have you asked, how can I serve you, God Almighty? 
Instead, we, as Christians today, have largely said, how does God serve me? I can't go to church because why? Because it's inconvenient for my life today. I can't hear that message because it makes me feel bad. It's all about me and my feelings. No, it's not. It is about service, service to Christ, service to God, not God serving you or God or Jesus Christ serving your needs and your wants in life. Those that serve Christ, those that serve God, those that serve others besides themselves will be righteously rewarded in the end, my friends. That is the reality of the Bible. That's the reality of Catholicism. It is why Catholicism has so much charity to it. The Knights of Columbus as an organization, right? Its existence is for charity. Its existence is for fellowship. Its existence is in service of God, not in service of themselves, to do something different, to serve something different than yourself. So as we look here at the end of the Advent season, at the end of the, the calendar year, as we look at the birth of Jesus Christ, the Immaculate Conception and birth, as we look at that, let's look at how we serve God. Let's look at how we serve others, become in service to others, instead of yourself for once as a society. You want to defeat the spirit of the age, defeat it within yourself first. That's ultimately what reviving liberty, by the way, has been about, is rooting yourself in God, is becoming a, a pillar just for you, yourself, becoming different, getting used to it, because today's society is so rooted in that self-serving mentality. And we all struggle with it, by the way. I'm not immune to that. You're not immune to that. There are moments in which I go, man, this is not something that I want to do. But I challenge you, pick yourself up just one time, just once. Pick yourself up when you say that and do that thing you don't want to do. Create that habit. Create quality habits in your life in 2023 in service of God, not yourself. Flip that church of me into the church of we. Flip that into something different and watch what's going to happen. We still might be in the minority in this country, in the culture, and in the academic world, but we can become a powerful minority through that meek service of others. Meekness isn't weakness. The church of me is weakness. The suggestion that that everything that you do in life can be just poo-pooed away because you believe in the Bible. No. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And it will never work. And you're going to find that lesson the hard way if you don't listen to service of Christ over service of self. And with that, folks, please be smart. Be safe. Be kind. I'll be back with you for one last final vibe show tomorrow. And as always, Matthew 547.
The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic T-shirts, soft, structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim, all made right here in the USA, with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code GRATEFULAG23. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.